You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Peter, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It is great to have you on the program today. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Please share a little bit about yourself and your family, and let's dive into your story. I was born in central Massachusetts, a little bit outside of Boston, about 40 miles from the city. Raised in a family of, of Christian believers, my parents had a pretty awesome coming to faith as young adults. Soon after they got married, they met a person that led them to, to Christ and helped them understand the way that they were living was not really on a path that was bringing glory to God and, and really a path that was bringing much value to their lives. So Mm -hmm. my dad has a wonderful story of his conversion to faith, quit all sorts of bad habits, just cold turkey, drinking, smoking, swearing. And he describes how he always had trouble reading. And one of the remarkable things about his conversion was he picked up the, the Bible and started reading it and was able to see clearly and read clearly more than he ever had prior to that in his life. That's incredible. Yeah, really awesome incredible uh, history in our family and even back generations before that. But the wonderful thing is I I was born into a home that didn't know that previous life. Uh, My father was a wonderful father, my mother, wonderful mother, and they had already gotten their life back on track or on track uh, with the Lord. Certainly, they had ups and downs before that and after that. But I was born into a very loving, nurturing Christian home involved in in a church family and, and community that was supportive and felt very blessed, even at a young age, knew that I was surrounded by loving, caring people that cared a lot about me as an individual and cared about my family. So that's what I knew growing up, felt I had a sense of faith, had a sense of knowing that God existed and that I I had a purpose in some way. And fast forward to my teen years and into college, I started sort of living my way, created a very selfish lifestyle. I was playing football. I I played football on scholarship at a a Division II school here in Massachusetts for a couple of years out of high school and was living that lifestyle, everything that comes around that that football lifestyle, which in, in many cases is a party lifestyle. We used to drink on the weekends and then the weekend became Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then the weekend became Wednesday through Sunday. And then all of a sudden, we were just drinking all week, most of the time. It was just the way we were doing things at 17, 18, 19 years old. And I just I had this pit in my stomach or in my heart, this sort of emptiness, this void. And I knew it was there. I, I think I even knew it was there for a reason. I think I knew what it was. I think I knew I had I had extracted God from my life. And on the surface, I would have still called myself a believer or a Christian. At times, I would even still read Christian books or or even the Bible. It's kind of an odd dynamic when you're reading devotions in the morning and then getting hammered at night. (laughs) But that was the stretch for me as a young man. So my sister was at a another school in Oklahoma, Christian University out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I had the chance to go down and visit her. And I was wrestling with a lot of junk at that point. And I just fell in love with the people there, the culture there. I felt I felt like people really cared about me. They were genuine. They didn't care about who I knew or what I was doing. Uh, they didn't care about the, the surface relationship stuff, the sort of that facade. Mm. They cared about me as an individual. And 
I just kind of thought that maybe it was time to make a change. So my junior year of college, I transferred to that school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and was just instantly accepted, met a great group of gentlemen that surrounded me with uh, care and support and love, didn't judge me for my past, my checkered past, but just invested in me. And to this day, I still have a lot of close friends from, from those few years there. So I had a wonderful experience there. But also my senior year, I had, I think what was probably my, I, wa- I don't want to say it was my conversion experience because I was already believing Christian, felt like I was walking with the Lord. But I went through this stretch where I had put sort of that selfish lifestyle behind as the Apostle Paul describes it as sort of the old man. And I felt that I was living with more gratitude, living with more grace, trying to make good decisions, of course, making some bad decisions from time to time, but just being really grateful and thankful to be alive and spending time serving, volunteering. And on Saturday mornings, we would go and we would volunteer at a community center in Tulsa. And one of my friends was involved there so much. I think he was even on staff there working. He actually had the keys to this community center. It was a beautiful building. They had a gymnasium. So on Friday nights, sometimes Saturday nights, we would actually go and hang out at this place. Then no one else was around. There was maybe half a dozen of us, sometimes up to 10 people. Mm -hmm. And we would just use the sound system. We would put on worship music and we would just worship in the gym. No band, no worship team, just music through the speakers. And we would just worship. And that's when I had probably the closest encounter with God that I could have ever imagined. I was telling you, Brian, that I feel like I'm blessed with the, the gift of cynicism. And had I heard this story from anyone else, I would have said, yeah, you probably made this up or it was probably just an emotional experience for you. But for me, it was it was this really sense that I had a, a direct contact with God. It wasn't like I saw a form. It was almost like the layers of space and time were kind of pulled back. And I had just this glimpse, like a drop of what God's presence is like. And it was the most overwhelming experience I could ever imagine or describe. Was that right in the middle of worship? It was. Yeah, that's all we did. We would just show up and turn on the music as loud as we could, turn down the lights, and we would just sort of worship and just express gratitude and thankfulness to to God. And it was right in the middle of that experience. No one else was next to me or around. And it was just me on the floor, just experiencing this. And the best way I can describe it is it was a feeling of overwhelming fear, but overwhelming peace at the same time. And I know that makes no sense, but if you can imagine just being in the presence of something that is just awe. Mm. You you would you would sense almost this fear, but not fear for your safety or or fear for something happening, just this reverence. Yeah, reverence, exactly. This regard for for this presence, which I know is God. I didn't hear a voice, I didn't see a figure. It was it was just sort of light and energy and just this overwhelming sense that God was there. And I have no idea how long it lasted. It could have been a minute. It could have been 20 minutes. I, I'm not sure, but it changed my life. I, I walked out of there saying, that just happened. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't under the influence of anything else. It was just me in a state of worship. Mm. And I'm um, not trying to get anything out of that worshipful experience, really just trying to give. And I think the contrast there was, this was a Friday night, I believe, where Two years prior to that, Friday night was all about me. It was all about finding the best party on campus. It was all about you know going out there and having a good time. And 
fast forward two years and it was me giving my Friday night up to go and worship God. You know, like we could have gone to the movies, we could have gone out to dinner and we went and we just wanted to hang out and spend some time in praise. So that was the contrast. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, you know, on what planet do college students purposely open up a community center to worship the Lord and just press into him? Wow. That's amazing. It was awesome. And and my prayer is that there's more of that happening, I hope. I know there's some great college communities, and I know there's some really great gifted young people that are pressing and seeking God's will for their lives. And hopefully it's happening more than we see. This wasn't something announced. It wasn't anything on a billboard or it wasn't really even a wide open invitation. It was just sort of, hey, if you want to come, let's go. And we did this many different times. This was the singular time that I had that experience. And it's never happened since, but it is something I often reflect back on as a as a moment where I firmly believe there's no other explanation than that I was just for just for a short time in the presence of God, more mm. more directly than I've ever been before or since. That's incredible. So you graduated from the college and what happened next? Yeah, so I graduated and decided to move back home. I had fortunately been able to connect with my pastor back in the in Massachusetts and I said, "Pastor, I'm not exactly sure what I want to do next. I'm 21 years old. I have a business degree." And he said, well, we're looking for good people to go serve in the Dominican Republic. My church had, at the time, had a mission in the Dominican Republic. And just a handful of people had come and gone and served there for different periods of time. And he said, I'd love for you to consider going spending some time there. So about six months later, I came back and worked for the family business. My father owns a stained glass studio still to this day in operation. And for the most part, we're growing up, I worked in the studio. And so I came back after college and worked for another six months or so. And then I set off to the Dominican Republic for about six months. I got to work in the mission school there. There's an elementary school feeding and teaching children, both Dominican and Haitian children in that school. And I had started dating my wife, my what would become my wife, during that six months home. So I had this connection so I didn't lay any deep roots in the Dominican Republic because I had a strong feeling, a real sense that she would become my wife. Mm-hmm. And so we stayed close in contact while I was gone. And I ended up coming back home and had a wonderful time in the Dominican Republic. I uh, got to meet some great Christian people, just learned learned and took away much more than I ever could have given. I think most people who ever do any mission, they say that, and it's very true. I think the most remarkable thing for me serving in another country, meeting Christian people. And there's this instantaneous connection. It's like, you can kind of tell they're serving the same God when you have that conversation. You see the look in their eyes, sometimes through broken language, meaning Spanish and English, trying to communicate. But you just, you know that there's a God that is present in all areas of this earth because you have that instant connection. It's sort of this spiritual introduction and connection that it's hard to explain any other way. And so that was remarkable to me. And so from there, I came back to the United States, got engaged a few months later, and we got married just a few months after that. So by age 22, I was 23. I believe my wife was 22 when we got married. And we had known each other our whole lives, but we didn't really start showing interest in each other until after college. And Mm -hmm. I I should say I showed interest in her and uh, she eventually came around. That's where my sales training 
came into play. I got to <laughs> convince her that I was the best option out there. <laughs> I can relate to that. I married up. <laughs> yes, Anyone exactly. that knows my wife will tell me that too. Me too. Uh, it's <laughs> absolutely true. I'm, I'm known as Alicia's husband around here. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Cindy's husband. So I get that. After you guys got married, what happened in terms of the work, the work thing? So I had started this new job. My wife had just started a new job. And just about three months into our marriage, I started experiencing some crazy physical symptoms, some things that were very, very difficult to deal with. Didn't know exactly what it was, but they were getting worse and worse and worse. A lot of fatigue, a lot of swelling in my body, even this crazy, it's kind of hard to explain, but this crazy itch. So Hmm. I'll explain it this way. If you've ever worked with fiberglass insulation, especially on a hot summer day, and you get it on your skin, get it on your arms, has that sort of prickly itch feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's terrible. It's it's terrible. And so the the symptom I was experiencing was that was that, but under my skin. So it was almost like oh I had goodness. worked I, exactly. I had worked for uh, several hours in an attic laying insulation, got all sweaty and hot, and got insulation all over me. And then I had no way of scratching this itch. So it's hard to explain, but it was excruciating, and, mm. and it was continuing to get worse. So over the course of nine months, all these symptoms continued to get worse and doctors were having trouble figuring out what it was, couldn't pinpoint it, just got worse and worse to the point where my breathing started being restricted. And finally, they started to do some scans, some full body scans and figured out that I had a relatively large mass in my chest and ended up being diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. So. That was a that was a challenging year. So imagine first year of marriage, newlyweds, dealing with all of these things, the struggle of not knowing what it was, just the tension of not being able to sleep well, feeling exhausted and fatigued and all of the other things. And finally, we come to the point about nine months into our marriage where I get a diagnosis. And it sounds bleak and, and was relatively bleak at first. They said, you have a, a tumor the size of a grapefruit in your chest. And it's restricting now your breathing. It's actually essentially causing you to suffocate from the inside out. It got to the point where I couldn't lay down without having my air completely cut off. Oh my. I was also losing blood to my head because of the restriction from my chest. So they escalated things and sped me uh, up to treatment. They, They had a treatment plan and it was this diagnosis and all these tests came within the couple of weeks and the symptoms were continuing to get worse. The tumor was continuing to grow very rapidly. And I got to the point where one day I had to drive myself to the hospital because I was having so much trouble breathing. And they said, we got to start treatment now. So that was was tough because I was a person of faith. And I said, you know, of course, God, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? And should I go forward with this treatment? Am I showing the lack of faith by trusting the medical community and these medicines to heal me? Am I, is that a lack of faith? And I know people struggle with that. And I still, to this day, sometimes wrestle with that. But we prayerfully considered it and felt a strong sense of peace of just moving forward with the recommended protocol for treating this disease. And so we did. They sped it up. They brought it forward because I was suffering pretty badly at that time. But overnight, after my very first treatment, just like that, the tumor shrunk just enough for me to breathe better. Every other symptom went away. All the itching went away in one chemotherapy treatment. I had the first full night of sleep I 
had had in months and months and months. And I woke up the next day after chemotherapy feeling the most refreshed I've ever felt, which is not a story that you hear often. (laughs) No, not at all. That's amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I was my first set of scans after the diagnosis and starting the treatment. They said, listen, this thing is there's zero active cancer cells. we're, We're scanning you with these uh, PET scans, and there's nothing we can detect of active cancer cells. You still have some tissue in your chest that was sort of the remnants of what's going on. This is within 30 days of starting chemotherapy. And so, of course, they're saying this is this is very uncommon. You know, they didn't call it a miracle, but they said this is a very rapid recovery, a very rapid response to treatment. And I said, okay, so am I done? And they said, well, no, we have a protocol. You should stick with it. You can get a second opinion if you want, but we have you scheduled for six months of chemotherapy and some radiation. We recommend you follow through. That was tough for me because I said, God, I feel that you worked very quickly to alleviate not just the symptoms, but also alleviate any active cancer in my body. And now I'm hearing I should continue with this treatment plan. Mm -hmm. But we did. We pressed on. We continued with the treatment plan and we really never looked back. So completely healed of cancer. Now this is going on. Wow, we're pushing 20 years now, believe it or not, about about 18, 19 years. Yeah, that is so great. I appreciate you sharing the struggle you had and where you landed with respect to praying with your wife about what course of action to take, and you just followed your piece. Yeah, we did. We, We felt like this was a foundation of the rest of our life, and it has been. We felt like it was it was a story that would be a distant memory, and it, and it has been. We felt that it would pull us together and make us stronger as a couple, allow us to raise a, a family, and, and it has been. It is, it is absolutely, it was a horrifying year, very difficult. But man, we don't sweat the small stuff. We're grateful for everything we have. We feel blessed to walk the earth. Literally. Yes, literally. I mean, that day I drove myself to the hospital, I was within days of, of that tumor suffocating me from the inside out. And, and so I knew then and there that if this thing turns around and we're able to continue walking this earth, then we need to take things seriously. We need to, we need to not waste time and energy and effort sweating the small stuff or in frivolous, silly conversations or arguing for the sake of arguing or spending time and energy on things that just don't matter in the long run. And, and not just in an eternal perspective, but also here on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, we sometimes put our effort and energy into stuff that really has no lasting value. And my wife and I don't do that. I feel that we got that right. We press forward after that experience. We are unified in everything we do. We rarely have disagreements. And when we do, we know how to handle them. It was a foundational season in our life that we've now built off of for 16 years of marriage. What an incredible perspective builder for the rest of your life. Yeah. And there's hardly a day that goes by that we don't think about it and we don't use it to continue to feed our current situation. You know, when things come up, we say, thy will be done. I mean, Jesus said it in his prayer. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how can we think any differently? And sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. And in all of those things, we have to remain neutral. We have to set aside our ideas or what we think the solution is and just stay neutral and and let God answer us. Sometimes it's a strong answer. Sometimes it's not. 
sometimes it's take a step-by-step-by-step approach and just let God continue to lead us and guide us and correct us as we go. But man, I, I just look at it as living in this world. It's an adventure. It should be full of different opportunities to trust God, different opportunities to work with our own being, to use our skills and our abilities to, to make this world a better place and to, to improve our situation, but always trusting God that he's going to provide. He's going to open, open the door and guide us. What have you found through this process and over the years of your marriage to be, for you, the most common way, the most normal way, I put that in air quotes, the Lord speaks to you? Because I know he speaks to everybody differently. What have you found to be the way he speaks to you most? I think overarchingly, it's a sense of peace, a sense of uh, wholeness. Sense of rest? A sense of rest, yeah. A sense of, of wow. A sense of awe. You know, I think about I think about nature. I think about this universe, this crazy place we live. And I love the Discovery Channel. I I love watching, you know, what we're discovering out there in the universe. I think it's so crazy that we're on this little marble whipping around the sun (laughs) at thousands of miles an hour, you know. And and here we are. We're people. We have we have a, a mind that can think and make decisions. We have all the resources we need to survive and to live, you know, in this crazy universe. This is crazy place. It's like science fiction, but it's actually true. When you said we have everything we need, I've often marveled. You can drill a hole down anywhere and find water. <laughs> right. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. And I just try to take a step back and really look at all of creation. And regardless of what people think and you know how we got here. <laughs> if you can just pull yourself out of it and just think of all that exists and really still look at it and say, the most likely scenario is that this was all just kind of a series of accidents, a series of coincidences happening uh, together at the same time. I can't believe that. I, to me, that takes more faith than actually believing in a creator. To me, the obvious choice is to believe that there is a creator that created all that exists. If you think of all the different disciplines, right? You look look at physics, the mm-hmm. laws of physics. Like, where did those come from? Did those just just happen, or did someone or something create the laws of physics? Look at DNA and the sequencing. Look at DNA. Exactly. Where did that come from? Is that just a happenstance? Right. Chemistry and biology and, and thermodynamics and all of these things, you know, you look at them and you're saying, wow, just they're marvelous. And we're just scratching the surface on discovering what, mm-hmm. what this universe holds. So to me, that feeds a lot of how I feel and sense God is just looking around me and saying, huh, isn't that cool? Isn't that interesting the way that works? And so I love exploring and just understanding understanding who God is by by the way things work around me. And I, and I feel a, a strong sense of his presence when I do that, the beauty, just the creation around us. So that's more generally speaking. I think when it comes to making decisions and things like that, for me, my wife and I, a lot of it is going our, going our separate ways to pray about a decision. And it's unbelievable how often when we do that and we become completely neutral, trusting that God has his best plan for us, and we come back together, it's unbelievable how often that the decision is the same decision. I can relate to that in giving. You know, the Lord has really challenged yeah. us in our marriage to give to certain ministries over the years, and we're, we've learned to just separate and pray, and invariably, the Lord will give us the same number. It's an utter mind blow. 
but it's really great because then you know it's him and you don't have to worry. He's going to take care of it. Yeah, I can relate 100% in giving same thing, different, many different situations where we said, hey, I'm feeling that we should give to this person or this need. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it and we just go away and we come back with, again, the same number, or the same amount, completely at peace with it. And it's awesome. Yeah, it uh, is. And in dif- different areas, you know, with our children, different situations where we're like, we really need to separate and pray about this, make sure our hearts are completely in a in a neutral place, meaning yeah, if yes, yes, if no, no, and then come back together and make those decisions together after we've prayed separately. Let me shift gears here as we close in on the end of the conversation. And if you could share, you had a transition out of the building industry that you were in and mm-hmm. you moved into your own business. I'd like to hear about what prompted you to move into your own business and what you experienced in making that decision to do so and what that business is. Yeah, great. I'd be happy to. So I think what prompted me was a sense that I always knew there was something next. I felt like God was whittling away this block of marble to become and to serve in a different area. I felt like running a business, learning all sorts of different things, the ups and the downs, the very difficult seasons, very awesome seasons was all in planning for something next. And many different times I had considered taking that step on my own and prayerfully and through my wife's uh, prayerful action as well, we would come back to no time is not right. Mm-hmm. The time is not right. There was many times where I tried to manufacture it, where I tried to step out on my own and the resistance was so obvious. I knew that I was acting out of my own will and not prayerfully considering what the timing it was like pushing rocks uphill, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Or the the mine cart, we sometimes say, you know, there's a sense that you're pushing a mine cart up the track and there's got to be a peak to this track at some point where it's ready to go. Uh, First of all, I'd like to say we did our due diligence. We, we got out of debt. We saved like crazy. You know, we put our financial, our financial life in place and it was important for us to do that. So we put ourselves in a position to if if we felt led to step out and actually start something. And uh, that took a lot of effort and years, but we knew it would be for good. And it wasn't just for the opportunity that maybe one day I would start a business. It was because we just felt that God had called us to not live paycheck to paycheck, to not live in poverty, and to be able to give abundantly when we felt led or called to do so. So that was laying the groundwork. And that that was years of doing that. And then we got to the point where we said, we looked at each other and I said, listen, is this the year? We kind of took it year by year. Is this year that I pursue something new? And if so, what is it? And it was really my wife coming to the conclusion very prayerfully. She talks about how she got there in a moment of worship and prayer where she felt like God was saying, now go. Now's the time to step out and start something new. So then now she comes to me and says this, and I'm like, well, wait, I don't know if I'm quite ready to do that. I had established a solid career with good income and good influence. And she's saying, no, I think now is the time. And I said, okay, I think I can get on board, but I have to pray about it. And I did. And and we got there at the same time. We figured God was saying the same thing to both of us, and he was. I've experienced this in my marriage as well. And that is, I'm usually the one trying to drive those decisions. And then when it flips and my wife is telling me, gosh, Brian, I think that 
you should do this, now's the time, which I've experienced, then I know it's the Lord, right? Oh, absolutely. I always assumed I was, no matter what, I was going to have to do some selling. Like, I, Alicia, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're, you're quite there. I'm more spiritual than you. I'm hearing God louder than you are. But that, <laughs> that, that wasn't the case at all. She, she completely got there on her own. And I think that's a wonderful part about a, a marriage that where we're individually, our walks with God are our highest priority. Hmm. And so then when we come back together, it's not about pleasing the other person. It's not about establishing our lifestyle or even upholding our family. It's about our individual trust and faith in God and and then coming together and, and it, living that out in the world, whether mm-hmm. that's in our family, in our business, or even in our relationship. So I love that about my wife. I love the fact that at least once a week, I have the thought, man, she would be fine without me. But I love it because she's so strong in her faith. She's so independent, but so caring and loving and supportive of me and our four children. So I have that thought, but it's like, if she just has God, she's okay. And I love that, that she's not dependent on me in an unhealthy way. And she's not dependent on our family in an unhealthy way. And and I, I aspire to do that too. I aspire to be completely dependent on God first and use the strength that I get there in reading scripture or praying or worshiping and and use that to better live out my relationship with her or my family or in my business or in other relationships. So she's inspiring to me in that. But she got there first when it came to walking away from a career and all the coverage and the safety and the insurance that we had Mm. and starting our own thing from the ground up. So when you made that transition, Was that a fairly easy decision because of that affirmation and confirmation that this was the year? Tell me what happened in that process. (laughs) Yeah, I think it, I think whether it was an easy decision or not, I don't know, but we had the opportunity to be at a retreat with a gentleman who spoke about just this idea that God is good and he and he really desires the best for us, but he desires us to actually work in this world, to to go out there and make change and, and add value and to not just to sit and do nothing, right? But he also, he wants to work through us when we're in a completely open-handed, open-hearted, neutral state. We had to get to the point where it was, if yes, yes, if no, no, mm-hmm. if wait, wait. And we we both got there and we both said, okay, now it's yes. That's what we felt very strongly. And then of course, opportunities were opening up too. This wasn't just things in our own heart. It was actually the opportunity, the doors opening. So it's easy to look back and say, yes, it was an easy decision, but this is a process. This is over the course of months, really, that we were praying on and thinking on and talking about, you know, ask, seek, and knock to make this decision. But once we did, we were all in and we've never looked back or never questioned the decision. Uh, We feel like God has blessed us abundantly. We had savings that we've never had to touch. I essentially started my business about a year before the pandemic. And so we had a little bit of a runway to get up to speed before the pandemic hit. But of course, when the pandemic hit, we said, what does this mean? Well, sure enough, it meant nothing bad for us. We continue to add clients to our portfolio and continue to add people who were serving throughout the pandemic and even more so maybe in some cases. Uh, and it's been it's been amazing. What is it you do now, Peter? I work with entrepreneurial businesses to help them run a more effective, efficient, productive 
practice or business. And I teach them a set of simple, practical business operating tools and disciplines to, to get more of what they want out of their company. And so I work with the leadership team of relatively small companies, usually 10 to 250 employee type companies to just help them set up their business to, to be better, to be stronger. I love working with faith-based leaders, Christian leaders, because there's something deeper there. They're not building an empire unto themselves. They're trying to build a business in most cases mm-hmm. that glorifies God, that is something that's going to outlast them and outlive them. They, in many cases, want to support a network of people. And so that's very fun for me. That feels like I'm doing really good work and working with really good people when I have the chance to do that. You know, that begs a question, and that is, in the coaching and counseling and helping you're doing in this business, what's one of the most, say, 80-20 pieces of advice that you tend to give? So I think the biggest lesson that people have to get their hands around and get their minds around is being able to set their business up where they can actually trust and delegate to other people. Entrepreneurs struggle with the sense that I've always done it. I, I'm the only one that can do it. I'm the only one that can do it right. And so they have their hands in everything. The control freak. And we call it a control enthusiast. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Just a little shift of words. Uh, you know, I've discovered, exactly. you're, I've discovered you're a control enthusiast, Peter. Exactly. It's a lot softer. <laughs> That's uh, great. And usually gets a chuckle. When a business owner or department leader, someone that's had a lot of influence in a business, they're living in the quadrant where they're working on stuff that they're good at, but they don't love. Maybe they don't even like it. In some cases, they even hate it. The way I describe that is I say, that's where entrepreneurial dreams go to die. And what I mean by that is you start a business, you have this concept, you have this idea, you bring some people around you. It's fun. It's energetic. And then you realize all this stuff that needs to be done. And you realize you're the only person, or at least you think you're the only person that can do it. The business continues to grow. You add more people, but you're still working on things that you really don't like, but you're good at them. And you feel that no one else can do them for you. And that's one thing we teach our clients is how to let go of the vine, how to, how to delegate, how to elevate people, create an opening that people can step into and trust that they're going to get it done. They might need some coaching. They might need some direction. But if, if they get and want and have the capacity to do their job well, then they're going to step into that. And you can start to let those things go and and elevate yourself to the roles and responsibilities that only you can occupy and only you should be doing for the business. Do what you do best and hire the rest, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as we finish up here, Peter, I would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, I'd love to. Father God, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. I just grateful for the chance to live on the earth and, and walk this earth, Father, to put our hands to things, to put our minds and our thoughts to the things that you would have us to. Lord, it's a privilege to be alive. And I just pray that you help each listener here to understand that it is a privilege to be alive, that they have responsibilities, but they have a free will where they can go out and make decisions, trust that you are covering them. Lord, help us to be, help us to be open to your leading. Help us to be neutral in our decision-making. Help us to understand that in some cases, the answer is yes. Some cases, it's no. Some cases, it might be wait. Help us to live open-handedly with open hearts, really trying to see your beauty, taking the opportunities to speak into the lives of the people around us where we can, and also to listen, just to hear from those around us, to learn from them, 
And Lord, we're just so grateful for all you're doing in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peter, thanks. It was wonderful having you on the program today. Thank you, Brian. I had a fun time. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.